Hey, everybody. Welcome to Comedy Filmers episode 398. Getting pretty close to 400. Yeah, it is close to 400. We're going to do, we got to do something special. We should. No, I, we should coincide it with the Star Wars if we can. No one's given us money to fly to Australia to watch it like we did I last know, year. That's so weird. What's going on? Yeah. So that's, we really should go to Australia to watch this movie. So. No, someone should pay us to go to Australia. Right. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They need to give us money so we can do. That's If we can't see Star Wars ahead of the rest of the planet. What's the point? There is really no yeah. point in watching the movie like we did two years ago. <laughs> we'll try to figure out something special for the uh, App 400. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Um, do we... Uh, have any other big announcements to make at the top? We want to mention this for um, for earbuds. Um, we're looking, at, we're hearing some reports that uh, uh, if you have it on demand on your cable company, especially on the East Coast, um, it might be being ending on Friday. So if you haven't seen it on oh, demand okay. on uh, on cable right now, like I think it's on Comcast, but it's only until Friday. So make sure you check it out. And it- of course, if you want autographed copies of the DVD, there's only one place you can get them, and that is from us, right. ComedyFilmRights.com. Yes, and Tommy Wiseau Films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the disaster artist on this episode, but we just did a a, a, a disaster artist spoiler app with Rosie Tran. Which that'll was drop. Great. That was that'll drop in a couple days. Disaster artist is fantastic. Um, so let's introduce our guest. Let's do it. First time guest. First time guest. Uh, I was introduced to her, I think, via Jim Bruce and uh, put together. She's going to be on the first episode of the FNX Custer's Last Stand Up, which shoots December 17th out in San Bernardino. <laughs> I love that everything's still named after Custer. and He lost so bad. Well, that was the whole point <laughs> of the of the the the. the so the head of the network, my friend Micah, is is native, and he came up with the title. And I was like, wow, are you sure you want to call it that? Won't people get offended? He goes, it's our greatest, it's native's greatest victory against this awful <laughs> dude. He got <laughs> slaughtered. <laughs> it was just embarrassing for him. Like, the, they should name things like Custer's embarrassment. Yeah. Like, instead of just <laughs> using his name, because, like, I don't know if you know about the battle, but literally, he literally rode into a valley. I've been to the graveyard where all that everything happened. He rode into a valley, and then all the Native Americans came up on the hills all around him and surrounded him, and just they all just and everybody they all died. It was like the worst thing that it was any, an ambush. Any Total. military but strategist he ran into the like right. he planned to go into. Like, yeah. He was so <laughs> arrogant. This was his brilliant plan. Was that he was they like, can't get they one can't one. get us. He was so arrogant in addition to slaughtering women and children, that then he just went into that and got- Tons of people have done that, come on. Yeah, I know, you're right. Mostly men. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, so you're gonna be on the show December 17th that shoots in San Bernardino. And you're a stand-up comic. How long have you been doing comedy? Uh, 12 years, 13 in January. Nice. So. And yeah, it's a. I'm Native American, so that's why I'm on the show, I assume. <laughs> uh, and I come from like one of the probably worst tribes in America right now. <laughs> uh, we we're we're rebuilding, but we had a huge like fallout where there what, was like a what battle. What makes it a bad tribe? Well, I'm Chick Chancy. Have you ever heard of them? No. 
They were featured on This American Life as one of those tribes who got a casino and then couldn't get along. Uh, and like one faction had control of the money and one co- faction had control of the casino. And so the casino faction was just taking the cash out of the casino at the end of the day and burying it in the ground because they didn't have access to banks. Yeah, exactly. Oh wow. And there was just like the tribe split in half and like they, they basically got rid of our entire tribal council. They shut down the casino. I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff happened and like they're in the process of rebuilding. But, you know, this wow. is what you get when you get loggers and farmers and... uh you know, dog groomers to be in charge of millions of dollars worth of stuff. Like they don't know, they don't have the educational background. And that's the main problem with Native America is that the education has to catch up to where modern society is. And it's going to take a few more generations, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm. we had first contact with whites like 160 years ago. It's like nothing in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) No, it isn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then all of a sudden we had money, we had booze, we, you know, they got guns, they got, you know, and then just, of course, like casinos, well, that came in 2003, but yeah, all the other stuff, booze and guns and like. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was living in the in Chicago and in the 90s is when the casinos all started pop on, popping up. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't even just native casinos. So there was Riverboat. They found this old law in the books in Illinois and a couple other Midwestern states where you could gamble. If it was on the ocean on, or, or on, on water. water. On water. water. Yeah. So then they started these the riverboat casinos. And this mm-hmm. all of a sudden in the 90s, it was just this crazy casino thing. And I then, think we performed in some of them. Of course <laughs> we did. I was in Tunica, Mississippi, I remember going yeah. to uh, uh, to some weird riverboat where it was barely on the water. Oh, yeah. The, the, in Chicago, yeah. in, in Joliet, <laughs> they would pull off the, literally like, 50 yards off the shore and then mm-hmm. gamble, gamble, gamble. And then they come back. As long as it's not touching the dock though, right? Like yeah. That's the... And all these weird, and then you'd find certain casinos in like Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan that were that were Indian casinos. And, and they all had some weird, you can play blackjack, but you can't play dice or like. Yeah. Right, what right. is just like. Yeah, they would limit like kinds of slots you were allowed to have yeah. and like what kind of table games you were allowed to have and. Like, you know, I mean, there's a ton of different kinds of gambling. And they at first it was very, you know, well, you can have this, but not that. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, yeah. Which is so. so it's like this is our sovereign land. Just, we can have whatever kind of blackjack. You could have naked blackjack. Yeah, you know? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Cage like, fighting blackjack. <laughs> exactly. why, why, why would you? I know. And that's always such a, a weird thing. This like these arbitrary lines. Right. Well, it's yeah, this is just oh. Cards only, or, or it's a strip or, club, but they yeah. gotta wear pasties. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right, yeah, exactly. Or, or, like, or, <laughs> or it's, or it's, you know, it's gambling, but it's slots only, or some yeah, weird yeah. thing. You're an adult, but we still don't trust you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, we think you'll. Here's halfway. <laughs> so this one form of gambling is gonna make you more or less out of control than another form right. of gambling. Right. Like right. you yeah. don't understand gambling then I don't think. <laughs> you can have this booze but not this no. booze. Right. Yes. Not the beer and wine only. Beer and wine. <laughs> yes. Nobody no. nobody's an alcoholic off no. beer and wine. No. Yeah. Nothing bad has ever happened off of too much beer or wine. It's never <laughs> happened. Um all right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the disaster artist. Okay. This was a really, really fun film. A passion project for James Franco. And, uh, you know, you always run the risk when you do a biopic, especially someone who is around and still alive, that there's the... Um, and crazy. And crazy. The But a crazy genius. Yes. <laughs> so is a crazy genius. Yeah, like, uh, like, like you run the risk of parody, and you right. run the risk of, like, uh, well, 
you, you know, you're just doing a caricature of this character. But yeah, like I'll an SNL you. sketch. It's exactly. going to be like an SNL sketch. He's just going to be doing a wacky voice. But man, James Franco, he just nailed it. I he know. channeled the character. Like we were talking earlier about uh, um, the Jim Carrey movie. Jim and Andy, right, and uh, the way he had channeled Andy Kaufman, where mm-hmm. it was, it re- I really felt like this was the same thing, where he really just got into this character. The difference is you, Tommy uh, was Wiseau, Wiseau, Wiseau. Sure, it doesn't matter. He's still alive and was present, you know, on the set periodically. So, yeah, yeah, it, it is an interesting <clears throat> comparison because the the Jim and Andy, uh, for those who don't know, Jim and Andy is this documentary. It's on Netflix. And it's Jim Carrey, when he made Man on the Moon mm-hmm. um, in the 90s, he had a documentary crew because he just was Jim Carrey. He became Jim Carrey um, and and he became, he, became, yeah. he became Andy. He became Jim Carrey. He became himself. It was weird. Yeah, it's weird how much Jim Carrey was like Jim I, it Carrey. It was dead on. It was, it was, oh, it was scary. It was like a, a genius. He's so yeah. brilliant at playing himself. Uh, you know, yeah, he was playing Andy Kaufman and... Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the nightclub character that Tony Clifton. And so he would, and you, so there's in this documentary, which I suggest watching, you see him and, and, and Jim Carrey then, the documentary is showing this footage from the 90s, but also like Jim Carrey would today talking about it, saying, I just channeled Andy Kaufman, I just became him. And you see him like being this dude on the set. So it's very relatable because Jim's. Oh, like he was, okay, so there's two types of act, acting, right? There's method acting where you're that character all the time. Mm-hmm. Was it like that or was he just like so into the role that you just... It was it was method acting, but like times 10. Like, okay. So he's as Andy, Kauf- Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman is fighting, like antagonizing Jerry Lawler, you know, between takes, like in the makeup room to where Jerry Lawler is like, hey, and goes after him. Like I'm gonna kick your ass. It's it's, and the and the cast is like, you know, Jim. What do you do? Like a nut. Like so. It was it was kind of it was kind of crazy. But also he's like, hey, I just channeled. I just channeled him. And then I think so. So going as as Chris was saying with the disaster artist, you really got the feeling, and and apparently James Franco was staying in character, you know, between takes. And as we talked about on the spoiler up, he would kind of have to because. Just from a technical standpoint, this guy, Tommy Wiseau's crazy accent, you know, he says he's clearly Eastern European, but he says he's from the Bayou. Right, <laughs> no New, New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just sort of, you can't just like turn that on and off, like a comedic voice, like just, hello, and then talk in your regular voice or whatever. So I think James Franco did an amazing He did, and he stayed in character while he was shooting the movie, and what I like too is just kind of, like, uh, you know, Tommy was out. He, he, he wrote the room. He directed it. He starred in it. Where you know James Franco starred in Disaster Artist. He, uh, you know, I think he co-wrote it mm-hmm. with the end, but he also uh, directed and starred. So it was it was the kind of parallel that I think was needed and important to make this movie. Like I feel like if. Um, someone other than James Franco, like this, this movie could have been like a big studio noted disaster. It really, it really could have been like, uh, 
like you know a big budget studio comedy that got watered down and like made no sense and was if was they without... made it as a comedy it would have it would have been awful right <laughs> because right. the the comedy in it is comes the, from the character the character this guy mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if you know much leah about the room you ever see that billboard I, how long have you been living in la um about four years okay so probably you missed the billboard you days. missed the billboard days <laughs> there was this crazy billboard for the room and it was up for years, years on high years? years, years, and mm-hmm. everyone was really? like, "What is this? What is this movie? What is this?" And it's it, never playing anywhere. You know, there's occasionally a midnight screening, and that you it was know, like an was RSVP a, yeah. for screening. It was this creepy dude's face on it, and you're like, mm-hmm. "What is this?" And so it became sort of a joke and a punchline, and then people started to go, "Well, I'm going to go to some of the screenings," and the movie is so bad it's amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> like and it developed a cult following like then okay. you know a bunch of um, just from a billboard they wouldn't take down yeah 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 five thousand wow. dollars a week five thousand dollars that's a, week. a quarter of a million dollars a year and it was up yeah. for just, years just for a billboard just yeah. for a billboard just yeah. for a billboard the budget yeah. on this film was six million dollars and yeah. it does not show up on screen no at all. no sometimes i wonder if we took all the money out of advertising how much we could fix in america if like we were just like okay no ads for one year yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like you just have to hear about it from your friends sorry <laughs> yeah anyway no, people sorry. would be too it's educated a, yes <laughs> a quarter of a million dollars on a giant billboard is like <laughs> next yeah. crazy thing you're going to say what if we cut the military budget and actually put it into the infrastructure oh no, no. you know what as a as a veteran i'm i'm for that <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, yeah. So that's the story behind this film. So it's it was such a weird, and I don't know that a big studio ever would have made it because it was such a like L.A. thing. But then the screenings in L.A. started to spread. So now there's screenings all over the world of this movie because it has become in the internet. Obviously, people right. talk about it mm-hmm. on the internet. So it's like you if you Google worst movie ever. <laughs> Boom. It comes up. This comes up. Yeah. This comes up. There's a movie called The Divin- Divination, I believe, which is this Irish martial arts movie. And I think Ishtar. Oh. Ishtar. <laughs> I love Irish martial arts. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, makes, it makes no sense. It's I've, as good as Irish wine. It is. It, it is. It is. It's... Uh, and then there's Miami Connection, which is another fantastic movie. Which Talk is, about that on the spoiler. Episode. Oh, Miami Connection <laughs> is mm-hmm. so great. But that's the thing about this film. I mean, it's really the acting in it. All the supporting characters are great. It's a great passion project. And what I what I like, too, is it, it was really James Franco's baby and his voice. And it really, like, it didn't feel like there was... I, I felt like that was the movie he wanted to make. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like, oh, gosh, that's where there was a studio note. Or uh, that's where the distributor wanted to change something. It mm-hmm. really felt like it was his movie. It was his thing, yeah. And he mm-hmm. hires his brother, Dave, to play the... the right. The guy Mark, that's actually the Greg Sestero, or I don't know how to pronounce that name, but the actual guy. It's really awesome. It's it's hmm. it's. They've actually never worked together or appeared on screen together until this film. Really? Yeah. Hmm. They've been keeping it separate. Keep it. <laughs> I, I think as I did, long as but... we can form another connection for the Kevin Bacon game, that's the important. <laughs> that's the key. That's what having the Franco boys together on screen <laughs> does. It really makes the Bacon game that much easier. Uh, but yeah, so I would. I would do some research about the room before you go see. Before the movie. you go see, I don't know that you need to see the room. That would help, but I think you gotta. I think there is. If you just go in cold or blind on this film, you might. You'll like it, but I think you'll like it more if you have a little have a little more background. Knowing and and what they show you is the process of making the movie and how crazy it was and how crazy Tommy was so was to kind of deal with. So when you know the final product is nuts, it's it's it's. 
It's insane. Wow. And then it makes the movie that much better, I think. Mm-hmm. So check it out. And then listen to the spoiler up. Yes. With Rosie Tran. Mm-hmm. Um, Who is a super fan, by the way, of The Room. Super. She texted me a <laughs> month ago saying, Graham, I want to talk about the disaster artist on <clears throat> comedy film. Then. So mm-hmm. we made it happen. Um, oh, that's cool. But let's talk about now. Now, Leah, you saw me. You saw this uh, this indie film, uh, Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. That's like you said, it's an Italian movie. So, wh- mm-hmm. what is this movie? Tell us about it. So, it, I think it takes place in 1984. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the glorious 80s. Um, Great soundtrack. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was seven, uh, and it's a story of uh, a 17 year old. I don't know, guy. I don't want to say boy or man. He's kind of in between that, mm-hmm. you know. Like he's on the cusp of being a grown up, but he's not quite, you know. And his dad is a professor. And invites a student to come and live with them for the summer and do research every summer. And so every summer it's a different grad student. So this summer, this guy comes, um, I don't actually remember his name from the movie, Elio, and is the boy's name, the 17 year old boy's name. And the actor, the, the, this visiting actor is played by Army Hammer. Army Hammer. Right. Okay. That sounds like the best military name ever. <laughs> if you join the army and you're like Sergeant Army Hammer, <laughs> you would be promoted immediately. Yeah, you would. You'd be like Sergeant Hammer, Sergeant Army Hammer. <clears throat> anyway, um, so anyway, so this this old, you know, he's an older guy. Um, it, I thought he was maybe mid twenties, but that was just me, like maybe hoping that he would. They were like kind of close in age. My girlfriend thought maybe he was in his thirties. Which mm-hmm. kind of makes it like a you know bit more of an age gap you know, and so there's a there's a long buildup where you're watching Elio process everything. There's like girls that are interested in him, and he kind of sleeping with this one girl a little bit, but then you just see him just start to become fascinated with this guy. He hates him at first, but then he becomes fascinated, and the guy basically opens up his world. Um, they end up you know. It progresses throughout the summer mm-hmm. um, in, until it becomes sort of the secret relationship that they're having, and then um, and then he leaves, you know, because it's the end of the summer, and you know, and Elio's left there with just this seventeen-year-old angst in his heart, and uh, and it the best I think the best I don't want to I don't know how many people are going to run out and see it, but don't spoil. <laughs> there's a really good scene in which that Elio's dad acts like every gay person's fantasy dad where he says all the right things and you're okay and what you had was great and don't feel ashamed of it and i think as a gay kid growing up gay and not knowing what Uh that was it'd been real nice if someone had sat me down and been like (laughs) hey this is cool (laughs) college would have been way better for me (laughs) it's pretty boring Uh, i did a lot of uh sleeping Uh, so then, is the, so, so then the film and the the, the the director by the way his name is uh, Luca Guardagino. You know, I'm, I'm, there's yeah. No if you just that. spin an Italian accent on that, Guardagino. Yeah. 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 yeah, there's no way I. Guardagino was out. Sure. Hey boo. Uh, he's done uh, a bigger splash, a bunch of shorts. He did um, the documentary Bertolucci on Bertolucci and I Am Love and a couple other films. So how? So you feel like overall it was like a really well-made story? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a slower, like, I mean, I felt like I there's not not the rich Italian part, but like the idea of being 17, and that was the first time I really fell for a girl and was mm. like heartbroken and left and like just all of that stuff, 
you know, because I have a mental background where I'm like, oh, I get this story. Like, I understand what's happening. I know what Elio's going through. Um, I mean, the girl that I was with was my age, so it wasn't like there was a huge, mm-hmm. weird, like, age gap. Thank God. <laughs> um, uh, uh. But how was it, like, put together, like, as a movie? Like, like, did you like the, Were you engaged in the story? Was it slow? Was it... It was a little slow, especially in the beginning, but they spent a lot of time really just showing off the beauty of northern Italy in the summer. Mm. So there's a lot of, like, long walks. Yeah, what an ugly you're... place. <laughs> yes. know, it's terrible. It's Gross. Horrifying. Pick up your trash, Italy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, How no, do they live there? Yeah. <laughs> everyone is beautiful. Yes. The yes. scenery is beautiful. <laughs> there's no, you know, it, it, you just, you, because you, my girlfriend and I are going to Italy uh, at the end of this month, and so that was kind oh, of Oh, I'm film. sorry. Oh. I know. Christmas so in Italy. Hard. I know. It's so hard. Um <laughs> It's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need uh, a comedy buddy to go along with you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's just bring a spare third dude with us. That'll be fun. (laughs) The worst companion. Graham's here. Go hey, to Leaning Graham, Tower. Can you go get us some cheese from the other side of town? That'd be great. We'll see you in six hours. Low, uh, go lower in the boot, if you don't mind, <laughs> and come back when the vacation's over. Um, yeah, so so part of it was she picked the movie as kind of preparation as a lot of Italian stuff, but um, it's it's very slow, and it's, and it's sort of you start off with like one layer, and then it just keeps adding mm-hmm. on layers throughout the movie of like, first there's you're in northern Italy, and then it puts on the there's there's the layer of like okay there's something here between these two guys you don't really know if the older guy is even into it or not you know what i mean so it's all it starts off from the perspective of elio and all that he's going through in his Mm -hmm. mind and like you see him start to open up and like is this me is this not um and then then the other guy responds and then there's like a, a very tense section where there's them trying to do that dance when you when you're first gay and you're still in the closet and I don't know if anybody here is gay or not but if when you're first gay and you're still in the closet there's a when and you meet someone you're interested in there's like a dance you would do to try to like you know where you drop hints and you're very subtle and you try right. to like is this person I'm on curious. my side are, what are they uh, what are some of the hints like uh oh what, is there a certain keyword like movie do you like or magazine like is there is there clues um well in the movie there was there was mm-hmm. uh you know they were he he goes to watch him play some sport uh some mm-hmm. italian sport and he comes up and he he's he rubs him on the shoulders but then introduces him to a girl and so elio is like confused like is this a thing or is it he trying to get me with this like he's and so so then he well this sounds interesting because then I'm assuming Elio is then very so he's sort of confused like am I gay he's 17 and he doesn't know and then you know in 1984 being gay was like it was just starting to like really make the news that you know there's like you know AIDS was coming around Mm -hmm. and so being gay was still very frowned upon and like no one really talked about it openly. So there was these things the guy would do to try to be like, but it's really hard to tell. Is he being friendly? Is he coming on to me? Right. Is he like me or does he want me to be with this girl so I won't like him? Like there's like a dance that they do through the whole middle of the movie where you're trying to figure out how much attraction does each guy have for the other person. Well, this is interesting. I'd like to see it because Army Hammer, you know, is typically just cast as sort of the the pretty boy, 
in movies or the leading man or whatever. So he's to, definitely a pretty boy. But right, he's a good-looking guy. But like to play, it's still v- hard to forgive him for Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Is that was part years of the ago, dance? Still, is that how bad yeah, he was in yeah, Lone Ranger? Yeah, it's, it's um, hard. Oh, was he in the... Oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. going to be weird to watch this movie then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's nothing like that. He's, like, really smart in the movie. And there's a scene where he's going back and forth with the professor dad, and he actually corrects the professor dad. And the professor dad goes, oh, you passed... You know, I was testing you. You passed with flying colors. And so, like, he charms, you know, the mom, mm-hmm. and he charms... He's just so charming in the movie. Mm-hmm. And just gets everyone on his side to just... He's this, you know, big American, handsome, you know, kind of... You know, and, and so he gets... He charms all these Italian people into loving him. Um, and then... Uh, you know, there there's the section of the movie where it does actually happen. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see very much. It's it's it's. I will say it's very classily done, mm-hmm. f- especially for a gay film. No offense, gay guys, but they love to watch each other fuck. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Lesbians really aren't into that. So um, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear that you can beep it or whatever. But no, you can swear. That was no, great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like it's not like gay guys made the film. It's more like it. It just gives you the impression of what's going to happen, and then it, you know, then the mm-hmm. camera fades away, and then you know that the. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it cannot be pretty. I've never watched it, but it can't be. Ugh, two guys. Is, ugh. <laughs> I gotta wash that out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, no offense, love you, gay guys. Uh, you're great to shop with. Um, <laughs> thanks for picking out plants for me. <laughs> So, but all wow, all, you can say so much shit that we can't escape, guys. That's yeah, unbelievable. Oh no, listen, we've been waiting thousands of years for this, okay? <laughs> if I said that, it would be like, you hate gays, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> you hate them. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you like, lo- with love. Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, so, so let's, let's do talk about that because if, before we started recording, you, we, you were feeling like the Kevin Spacey thing had just happened, and so the age difference in the movie did that. Yes, did that make yes. it weird for you? Or? So, I mean, my girlfriend and I joked about it, where he was definitely older. He was a mature adult man, mm-hmm. and they didn't give his age in the movie, so it's really hard to tell. And because he's handsome or whatever, that he, he kind of has that timeless like twenty-five to forty look. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he could have been anywhere in that age range. I thought maybe mid to late twenties, because that's kind of grad student e age. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he could have been in his early 30s. Sure. But it's the whole idea of, like... Doesn't want to leave school, that kind of age. I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of a Can't this older guy. World, right? yeah. kind of a... Just wants to keep spending money on education. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grad student. They keep really? accepting me. They keep accepting me. Why not keep going? I mean... Now that, I don't I have tell... to make a resume. Yeah. Yeah, um, I tell all college students I'm like listen I rushed through in four years got out and I was like why did I do that god mm-hmm. college I went to class 18 hours a week <laughs> I used I to complain about that <laughs> <laughs> what anyway um, so it's the whole idea that there's an older we assume mature we assume experienced person and you could take it one of two ways he opens this boy's world mm-hmm. to show him a different form of manhood or it could be, is he taking advantage of his youth and inexperience and, you know, just that, all those feelings and emotions, is he taking advantage of that for what he wants? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And obviously he knows that Elio likes him. 
does he go after Elio because like do they end up getting together because he's kind of that guy or because he really want ha, like has a love for Elio that kind of transcends age because that you know if you watch have you ever seen Harold and Maude I'm sure everybody mm-hmm. in here seen mm-hmm. so that's that's like a you know it's like not that extreme obviously but um just the idea that and there is I would say like 17 is kind of that age where you're not really legal but you feel all the adult feelings right sexually yeah. and every everything's mm-hmm. kind of turned on at that point and I, I probably know a number of gay people who have been brought out by an older person mm-hmm. and that kind of somebody that's older that you respect is like this is okay and you're like oh it is okay and then it, that didn't happen to me that way but I know people that it happened to them like that where they just were kind of teetering at the edge of the closet and then an older more experienced person came and was like you know Open what the I mean? door. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, depending on how you took the movie, it could have a negative or positive impact based on the Kevin Spacey thing. Because obviously Kevin Spacey's a creep right. who went around harassing young yeah. men, yeah. which is, excuse me, terrible. I I don't understand. There's like 7 billion people on Earth. And granted, you don't have access to all of them. But that's like a lot of people to meet. You know what I mean? Think about it. You have like 5,000 friends tops on Facebook. What are the chances you even met all of those people? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if someone turns you down, there's like, there's literally. And if you're a movie star, chances are you uh, can meet a lot more people. Oh my God. Yeah. If you're rich and famous, it's, God, why would you even, mind. if you're like, I'm interested in this person and they said no, wow, I'll just turn to my right. Oh, hey. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Rich and famous, <laughs> you have to turn all the I way. Know. I know. Mm-hmm. You just, your head, just like, hey, how about, you? no, how about, okay, good. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. There's like, someone, while you're going, oh man, there's probably someone tapping you on the shoulder going, you're rich and famous, right? Right. Hey, you want to yeah. have yeah. consensual sex? Right. Yeah. Like, like Bill Cosby, anybody. I know. And women would have lined up to like, whatever. Louis C.K.? He's fucking oh, rich. I, mean, I know people like, that I've known about him for years. Oh. So that was one of those things when it was getting ready to come out. I was like, like I had given up supporting him publicly like over a year ago. Because I, wanna, I met somebody that he had done that to. I heard. kind of like. About, I mean, I always thought he was kind of a dick. Uh, and then I heard about it maybe a year, year and a half ago, and I got mad and went after him on Twitter because I was just like, I'm so sick of awful people getting rewarded in this business. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, he's a comedy hero. No, there's yeah. no one's a hero in comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sorry. You're, not, you, you, you're a funny joke writer. Mm, Maria yeah. Bamford mm. is a brilliant comic. She's mm, my friend. Tom Hanks. No, there, you know who's a hero? There's not. You have to save a life, right? You know what I mean? Right. Did you, you pull put someone your out life of life on the line to be a hero? Then you're a hero, yeah. right? So funny joke writer. Sorry, yeah. good filmmaker, good actor, doesn't cut it. You're not a hero. No. Yeah. Like, and, and if you're what? a fireman, you're a fireman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Are you an hero. ER nurse? Yes. Like what? Exactly. Do you, are you a paramedic? Right. You yeah. Pull? Have you delivered a baby in a casino? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Come on. Was someone about to die and they didn't because of you? Right. You're you're the you're, hero. Yes. Right. Wow, I loved your new special. Nope. Yeah. No. <laughs> you're no. Not, you're, not you're a, a hero. great comedian. Yeah. yeah. You can be all there's there's so many adjectives to describe greatness. Why that one? You know? Like yeah. there's no way Louis C.K. has ever been a comedy. I've always been sort of ambivalent about him. And I I of of the big names I would say I prefer Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just sort of sit to like a little bit nervous, don't you? Just like all your all these people you're like 
is something coming? Who's coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. next? Something coming How many down shoes the are going to drop? Who's next? Yeah, I know. Who's Matt gonna, Lauer? Gosh, that's it. That guy. Oh, Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose. Oh, come on. He looks... He, he he for sure was. <laughs> He's, I had no doubts about Say Charlie Rose. So Chuck, yeah. Just like, so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. All right. But anyway, so so the whole idea of Kevin Spacey being older and a creep right. sort of does infiltrate your mind when you're watching this movie and just think yeah. Like, I'm sure that um, was you know thought about in the marketing campaign too for this movie. I'm like, oh god, what terrible timing. Yeah, oh, <laughs> for sure, it was the worst timing so. ever. But all right, well let's get to the next yeah, movie. Gotta, okay, uh, yes. uh, Call me by your name. Check that out. So uh, I want to talk about Mudbound. I saw this on a uh, the streaming service, but it is also, I believe, in a uh, limited release theatrically. Yeah, they're trying to get an Oscar consideration right. for it. Now, so this film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival uh, in, in 2017 in January, where it received a standing ovation. But uh, here's the thing about this movie. Now, this movie is basically about two different families right after, uh, before and after World War II, and the uh, it's a black family and a white family in Mississippi and the racial implications that go with it. Now, it's based on a novel, and I really felt like watching this movie. I'm like, oh, there's probably a lot more in the novel that we're missing in this movie. Like, everything kind of gets set up. The movie doesn't go anywhere for literally an hour and a half. It Like, it just meanders, and the, the characters are... Everything's slow, and you don't really care about the characters or what's happening to them until the hour and a half mark we get to the heart of the film and the heart of the film is one white veteran who comes home and uh, one black veteran who comes home and they strike up a friendship and that's actually the uh, the core and the heart of the film and also because it's the kind of thing that transcends the racism that they were um, you know surrounded by on a, a daily basis um, because they're joined together of the shared war experience, and also they didn't call it PTSD back then. It was like I guess shell shock yeah. is what they what they used to call it. And they both they both had it. They Heavy both drinker. They, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Pull and, it together. You know, yeah yeah. One and Abusive you know husband. one was self medicating, and you know, but they you know a car would backfire and they would fall to the ground. And uh, uh, but it was also it was it was like a yeah. You know, they're riding in the truck together and they had to tell the one, you know, the, the black guy to he had to like, oh, no, you got to hide, you know, because then, you know, the other, you know, white racist can't see you in the truck with me. Mm-hmm. Like like the, it's it's brutally racist in parts. This movie like like difficult to watch, like 12 years a slave. There's a couple scenes where you're like, this is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and also. Uh, which I give a lot of credit to the actors because there's, uh, you know, there's uh, one of the characters is played by the guy that played Mike from Breaking Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. you know, the really? hitman, and he plays the really racist father, and he Jonathan is the Banks. yeah he is the most oh, unlikable racist, but <laughs> and he just but but like. There's such a commitment to it, all those like like races. like all the fun-loving ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's such a lot a of likable racists. Like like, like there's such a commitment to it where where you're like you, you think for a second like I'm not watching an actor be racist. I'm watching. I went into a time machine, and this is what Mississippi looked like, you know, in the 1940s. Um, so, but the problem is the movie's too long, and it doesn't get to the heart of the actual film until like like literally an hour and a half well, in. Well, that's the thing. The, the trailer I, when. I, the trailer showed me the the part of the heart of the movie that you're talking about. Yes. I was like, "Oh, this looks awesome! Two right. vets, 
um, you know, in the South after World War II, uh, a white one, a black one. Wow, let's get into it. And I, I tried to start watching this movie, but I couldn't. It was just because it didn't get there. It moves so slow. Yeah, and, and you it, want it, you're just like, get it, go. Yeah, get to the yeah. meat of it. Let's go. And you, you know, you just have a, um, a bunch of like unlikable characters that that are kind of in the background, but they're they're in the background for the first hour and a half of the film. Uh, or actually, no, I, I reversed that. They're in the foreground f- for the first hour and a half of the film until, you know, the two vets kind of show up and begin their um, their friendship. Which, and then that becomes the crux in the foreground of the film. But it just, like I said, like you could take the first hour of the movie out and then you would have a more focused film. I think so, that's a problem that we talk about this a lot. I think when you have a big a book. Big novel. A big yeah. novel. That's mm-hmm. that's why screen adaptation is a, its own award. Right. Because how do you take whatever 400 pages and boil it down to 90 or 100 pages of a, of a screenplay. And sometimes uh, certain books aren't um, really meant for adaptations. Right. Like they don't they don't really fit that like like how do you how do you fit this into a film adaptation? It doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that's what happened here. Like this makes me actually want to go and read the novel because I know there's more in the novel than you know, this movie was showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that there's also, you know, the heart of the novel is kind of got buried in this film. I mean, I give I give Netflix credit for mm-hmm. for for making this after Beasts of No Nation. They they won mm-hmm. some awards. They did. They got shunned by the Oscars, of course. But I'm glad if this if Netflix is going to try to, like, win awards, I'm all for it and play right. these and 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 and, you know, go after these unique and different stories. Beasts of No Nation still in my mind is like. It's relevant. It's happening today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it was it, it and Idris Elba was amazing. The kid was amazing. And this movie really it, it, the problem is really were on the adaptation side. Right. Like the performances were good. You know, they were really mm-hmm. some of the performances were, were excellent. The um, directing was good. The production design. Great. You know, all those things D. really Reeves fell into director. All those things really fell into place. But it's just the the actual adaptation of the source material is where it fell uh, fell short. All right. Um, What's an example of a movie that adapted really well from the from the novel to the screenplay? Because I would say like The Color Purple. Have you read The Color Purple uh-huh. and then seen the movie? Yes. Is it like, is it the opposite of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good adaptation. Um, you know, a, a good example of how it was a good adaptation, but strayed from the book was The Shining. Right. Mm. You know, and we we. Uh, but. That's a that's a great example because like The Shining, I think some, some and I I remember hearing Len Wein talk about this, who worked on the Watchmen comic book, and when the movie came out, and a lot of purists were like, ah, "Where's the squid? You changed it. You where's changed the squid it. Yeah, at the, the end?" The <laughs> and he made a great point, and I think this goes to what you're saying, Chris, about adaptation. Obviously, that was a graphic novel, but it is still uh, a, a a different medium. And he said they are different. He goes, the book, the, the graphic novel is, is the graphic novel, and they're different mediums, and they convey and tell the stories in different ways. So you have to kind of accept that, and I think sometimes when people get like super mad, it's not like the movie didn't take away anything from your experience of reading it. And I think, Krista, what you're saying about how it's difficult to adapt, especially a novel, adapting a novel, to me, has got to be harder than a graphic novel because a right. graphic novel is a goddamn <clears throat> you've shot. Got, you've got storyboards. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's right. It's, it's right. <laughs> um, so sometimes I think The Shining is a really good example of 
it wasn't exactly like the book because you can't shoot the book. Right. You can't take that book and and it's a different experience. You're sitting there reading the book at home in the dark and you're like, oh my God. So you have to convey that emotion visually and, and you have to kind of tell the story in a different way because you've got two hours. You don't have... 400 pages, which will take you a month or whatever long it takes right. you to read. So the stand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, it, is such a, it is such a skill what to leave in, what to take out. And how to structure it. And how to structure it. And then mm-hmm. how the filmmaker is going to execute that. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's so much more challenging than people may think. Right. Um, sounds like this was an example. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, I've got another example here of the movie Wonder, which is mm-hmm. based on a book. Um, I saw this. Uh, it was uh, directed by Stephen uh, Chabowski. Um, the book was written by. Let me tell you who wrote the book. Based on the novel, R.J. Palasco Palacio uh, wrote the novel. You know, it's a really touching story. Mm-hmm. It's it's based on a true story, and it's about you know a kid that's born with a condition to where all of the bones and Treacher ha- Collins syndrome. Right. Um, hmm. And so it it it's you don't have if I understand this correctly because I saw an interview with it. It's like all of the bone structure that a normal skull would have yours doesn't have. Wait, there's no bone structure like in your face. It's missing. You're missing some of it. Okay. Or something like that. That's I believe. I have never heard of it. So. so you have to get all these surgeries. So they hired a kid that has this syndrome. Well, the that's actor. Cool. So it was like. I mean, this kid understands. I mean, the movie's all about this kid, and he's he's being homeschooled, and now it's time to take him to a regular school. Right. And of course, he's getting teased, and and all this other stuff. So, there's some powerful scenes, and then it's really well written because it it talks about. You said they hired a kid like to be on set. No, the lead actor. I think it's Jacob Tremblay from The Room. Right. Who plays Augie? Because mm-hmm. they, his family went to the Children's uh, Craniofacial Association retreat, where Jacob got to meet and befriend children with Teacher Collins syndrome, the same syndrome that Augie has, the character. But I think Jacob Tremblay, the actor, um, was from the room. I don't think he has the, uh, the really disease. They, wow. Well, that's amazing to me then, because I thought I thought they they hired an actual kid that had that. Can you look at? I I, I I really think they hired. A, Isn't I, I that could, the kid from the be. room, Jacob Tremblay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me look up Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> yeah, there he is. The kid from the room, and they, they did prosthetics on him. Okay. Yep. Well, oh, blew wow. me away. The kid did an amazing job. Yeah. And I, I thought it, I thought they He's hired- He's a great actor. Like, he He's really is. He's it's It's- I really- That blew me away, because the, there's, a, there's amazing scenes in there mm. where his oldest sister- um, and there's there's a, there's a great dynamic in there. Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson play the parents, and you see how they are torn by this. You also see how the daughter gets neglected because right. it's all about this kid. He's always in the hospital. Right. There's a health issue. And then... Right, and the other kid can't even be like, well, what about me? Because, like, you're healthy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah and that's a, that's a really interesting see that. dilemma yeah. that they yeah. cover in the film, and it's, and it's handled really well, and the, the girl that plays his sister... You know, and she's just like, well, she's just always got to put on the brave face and and do this. But then she's like, she has a brave face, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, that's it. But that's the thing. She can't. It's it's very true, though. She's literally 
anytime she wants to go, well, what about me? She has to say to herself, no. Right. Because I'm not going through what my brother went through. Right. And and there's a scene where she comes home and she's like, and she has to say to her brother sometimes, you know, she's still a high school kid and he's 10 or whatever. So she's still a, there's still a, a big sister, old, younger brother dynamic where she's like, everything's not all about you, Augie, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's also a scene where She's like, I had a bad day at school too. What, you know, and she explains it and he goes, really? And he's like in tears. He's like, did people shy away from you? Are people afraid to touch you because they think they're going to get your disease? Does that happen to you? And she just has to sit there and go, nope, it doesn't, you know? And so it's really, um, it's really powerful. There's, there's some, you know, Hollywoody moment. Hollywoody, you know, the bully kids. I feel like they've taken, they, they just have like on a computer somewhere just bully kid dialogue. And then it was, <laughs> you know, it, was, it yeah. was like written in 1978, you right. know, and they just. It's a search and replace. They just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, what are you doing here, weirdo? You know, like yeah. it's that's <laughs> like, is, are they still bullying like they did back in yeah. the Yeah. Give me your lunch money. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what are you doing here, huh? What are you doing with your girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> I just like, oh my God. So there was. I, there was a couple scenes where I was just like, this feels like that. Like just right. Hollywood, this two-dimensional dialogue character gets this, mm-hmm. this unfleshed out, you know, side character. Now, I, I will say this. This is really interesting. The author, uh, R.J. Uh, Palacio, got the inspiration to write the book after taking her son out for ice cream where they saw a child with treacher Collins syndrome. Her son cried at the sight of this boy. This story is used in a scene from the film where Jack Will's mother is reminding him why it's important to make Augie feel welcome. Yeah. So that's it's interesting that just like a um, an experience like that inspired the book, and now we're watching a movie with Julia Roberts about it, just from um, literally her going taking her son to ice cream. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. It is cool, mm-hmm. and it's and it's you know it's a wonderful story about acceptance and 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 all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's really good, um, you know side characters in it like I said there's a couple little cheesy Hollywood moments but you're like all right it's sort of a kid's family story they're gonna put that I heard the book's really good like my daughter loved the book Hmm. so I'd love to read the book um, because I feel like I feel like it was a decent adaptation right (laughs) what's uh, what's the name of the book wonder wonder it's good same Same, same title okay Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it's a really it's a really wonderful touching story and Mm -hmm. and you know it's very you know it's gonna it's a family movie too like it's something you could bring your kids to and you're gonna cry right of course and especially if your kids have a really great life and like they've never had to experience anything terrible like my mom was disabled and so we grew up you can't complain about anything Mm -hmm. because you know, you're just like, oh, someone hit my car. I have to replace my taillight. She's like, oh, were you run over? Do your legs work? And you're like, okay, I'll stop bitching, you know? Like, okay, fine. So, like, I totally get this older sister because, like, that was basically all my mom's children. We weren't allowed to complain about anything. Nothing was ever as bad as what she went through. Mm. So it just was sort of, like, negates all of your negative feelings in life. And basically it's just like you have to be happy and positive. Otherwise you don't appreciate what you have. It's, like, impossible to have a bad day. But obviously, you have bad days. So, but then, so how did how did that for you though? So how does that? Do, um, did you, do you? I mean, do you look at that and say, "I'm glad that was my experience," or is there is there any sort of like that was unfair, or do you? No, I mean, it's less about the accident and the disability as it was the effects of the accident and the disability. So, like, 
the actual like I can picture this girl like the, she's not mad at the disability. She's mad at the outcome of what happens to everyone else around the disability. Mm. Right. That's how basically, you know, my mom became a drug addict. Uh, yeah, because a old, you know a little crippled lady walks into the doctor's office and says, "I need some pain pills," and so nobody's gonna deny her. No mm. one, not one person, had, had for uh, decades denied her. And so you kind of grow up with like the op. Like there are some things I'm grateful for. I always park far away at the grocery store, you know, because right. like I'm very kind to old wom- women. Like they have had they've lived a long time they have a tough life they should park closer but i mean and that's just one little example in life out of many many things but like it does teach you that whatever you're going through really isn't that bad though right you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so it's like i can complain but it's like it is true my legs work and they look pretty nice so yeah (laughs) yeah i can do a ton of squats yeah (laughs) and you're not addicted to pain pills and i refuse to take i haven't taken uh any sort of pain medication since 2001 after a surgery because I refuse. So just it's just it's one of those things. Yeah, you either become your parents or you become the opposite of your parents, right? right? Mm-hmm. I became the opposite. So yeah. people are like, why are you so nice? I'm like, I'm not like my mom. <laughs> She's a bitch. <laughs> but oh. you can't tell people that because she's disabled and they'll think you're the one being mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can see just not, you can't treat Augie badly because you're like, he's already got this thing, you know? Right. Like, mm-hmm. But it is a sort of a, like a, there's a, place where it makes you a little lonely because half of your feelings are negated hmm. so ah, that's a real you, that's your experiences no matter the sister was probably that's showing. absolutely yeah yeah your experiences are negated because what you're going through isn't as terrible right we have to focus on getting this kid well you know it's just like have you seen that movie i don't remember the name but i saw it on an airplane flight once but it's about this family and they had three kids the first kid had leukemia and they had two more kids to try to find cures for the first kid. Oh, and no. then And then this, the youngest kid, a girl who's a match for the older girl and has been used as basically her sister's donor. lifeline and donor oh. her whole life, goes to a lawyer with <laughs> this cash that her brother saved up and, like, sues the parents and says, I don't want to be the donor anymore like it's i don't have my own life i exist to keep this other person alive Sounds like an airplane movie (laughs) it does i was crying when i got to my destination i was like oh this is terrible (laughs) (laughs) why do kids get cancer all right so we got some okay well that was cheerful that was good (laughs) i'm gonna have to watch that wonder now it's a good film i can just be like like give her some space augie (laughs) (laughs) just kidding augie your life's tough i understand so uh, we have our Patreon um, yes. uh, ad read, The Frightfully Uninformed, a podcast that watches most cl- mostly classic horror movies to figure out horror movie fandom, frightfullyuninformed.com. Guys, you get that at the $50 level if you go to patreon.com slash comedy film nerds. It's a great way to support the show and uh, get a little bump from your business. Check it out. Check that out. And ladies and gentlemen, we have Casper mattresses <gasps> this uh, this week. And uh, as you guys know, it's the uh, sleep brand that has created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. And they have obsessively engineered mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Now, uh, Graham, you're still on your Casper mattress. I love my Casper. So you have a Casper. I love it. Really? Absolutely love it. And I just picture a bunch of OCD scientists like, we're not letting this thing leave the factory until it's been checked. 15 times. <laughs> 15 times. And there's there's no uh, there's no 
There's no risk. You can try it for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. It's designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. But we're not going to let you pay full price. No. That would be crazy. That's insane. We're going to give you $50 off a Casper mattress. All you got to do is go to casper.com slash comedyfilmnerds and use the promo code comedyfilmnerds. So you go to casper.com slash comedyfilmnerds and use the promo code Comedy film nerds. Boom. Get $50 off your beautiful Casper mattress. Yes. Get yourself a, a, a new mattress for the holidays, folks. You'll sleep like a baby. <laughs> like I do. <laughs> or I, I like to say like like a kid in junior high school who has to get up for school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just refuses to get up. <laughs> I'm staying here. Remember when you were going, your body was changing and you could sleep for 15 hours? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, those were the days. Oh, I can do that on my Casper. <laughs> I had a great sleep last night. So uh, let's talk about some trailers. Okay. Oh my God, Avengers if Infinity in. War. Yes. I'm so excited for Infinity we, War. We talk about this too. It's like, you know, for a marketing campaign, all you got to do is put that trailer on YouTube. Do you need to spend one more dollar on marketing? None. There's, there's, you could save $100 million yes. on marketing right now, and you'll make the same amount of movie for your Release money that your trailer. Movie. Yeah. On you on YouTube, and then all of every nerd around the planet will yes. repost and sh- send it to people, yep. and it's going to make a billion dollars that movie, billion. easily, easily. I cannot wait. I'm for I'm going to give it a hundred million dollars yes. <laughs> because you know we'll probably see it more than once. <laughs> yeah, of course yeah. We'll see it. come on. Uh, and it's it's the culmination of every other Marvel movie that's come up. Um, from there, you know, everyone is in this movie. Well, what'll be great is we'll, we'll, Black Panther will have come out in February, right? And then this comes out, I think May. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be. Leah, you're not a huge Guardians of the I, Galaxy. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, my brother was the comic book kid. I was not. I was a, uh, mm. sports kid. I did all the mm-hmm. sports in my family. So nice. I was gone like 16 hours a day just to avoid my. I have six sisters and a brother too. By the way. They told my mom she couldn't have kids. She had five. <laughs> wow, just to spite them? Yeah. yeah. Take that, doctor. <laughs> I'm having so many kids, I don't even know I'm pregnant yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here comes another one. Oh, God. So so this yeah. movie looks amazing. I'm pumped. Like, I, yeah. James right. Brolin is Thanos? Come on. And you even get Spider-Man, too. You get Spider-Man again. Yeah. So, uh, and James Brolin as Thanos looks really good. Like, you know, I feel like it's a- it's, Josh. Josh, Josh Brolin, yes. Not Barbara Streisand's husband. Yes. No, I think it's the old. No, yeah. I think it's the old man. The old man's planning. Oh, I love that it might be Bar- Barbara Streisand's husband. Now you guys don't know. You're like, ooh, which one is it? Like oh. each, uh, each movie too. The uh, the CG gets better too. Mm-hmm. Like you, like you see, the, you know, the motion capture looks great. The uh, the overlay, all the layering, everything just looks really good. So I can't wait to see this movie. I'm ready. I don't know. I I'm trying to think. You know. You know, Disney is literally owning the blockbuster market. <laughs> I mean, you've got a Star Wars movie and, you know, Marvel movies every single year now. And they, they make hundreds of millions of dollars each. Every three months, mm-hmm. there's one of their films. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's the Marvel movie that's bombed? It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah, they're so. looking at buying 21st Century Fox. Disney. Yeah, yeah, wow. that's uh, yeah. That, that's what we need My in this country. My girlfriend works for Fox, so she's like, Ooh, that's yeah, that's what we need in this country: more monopolies. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Yeah, especially with I media companies. That was companies. the cornerstone of uh, yeah. capitalism. <laughs> so Disney's going to buy the Pentagon, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, you know, 
They own ABC. It'll be That's a lot enough. more fun to visit the Pentagon. Pentagon. Yeah. Yeah. Not just a bunch of uniform guys and echoey hallways. Like, we're yeah. going to have displays. <laughs> There'll be a ride. <laughs> characters everywhere. <laughs> Disney military characters. <laughs> I'm a general. <laughs> Welcome to the Pentagon. Like, it'll just <laughs> yeah. be like some Disney ride. <laughs> That would be amazing. General Scrappy. Hey, <laughs> Scrappy. So, and the next trailer we watched, because I really wanted to see this, All the Money in the World. This is uh, the the trailer that not only replaces Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer, but shows a completely different film. I don't know. Like, now it's like a, a, a Mark Wahlberg, like you're saying, a spy movie. It's, it's The trailer is all about Mark Wahlberg now. Yeah. I bar- the other trailer that had Kevin Spacey, before the Kevin Spacey <laughs> stuff, it was like, wow, this is this movie about J. Paul Getty's you know, kid or grandkid getting abducted. Kidnapped and him and not wanting to pay the ransom. Him not, and he's just this that old school greedy baron, you know, it's right. all about the money. Screw the kid. And you're like, wow, it's just seems like this greedy Oscar thing. And now this trailer, I mean, I was excited to see, because we talked about this, they reshot the scenes with Christopher Plummer in like a week or two. I mean, it, it, it was, was a lot quicker than I thought it would have been. Such a quick turnaround. Yeah. The movie's done, in the can, ready to be right. released, and they just right. had to reshoot. It was 20, my understanding, it was 20 days that Kevin Spacey was on the set. Right. So they had to reshoot 20 days of stuff, have it match everything perfectly. So I'm like, I'm, I'm glad they did it because we talked about it on the show when this first happened, was like, when these these guys are busted for this creepy bullshit because you, you you're affecting other people's jobs because you, you, you look and at lives. like the decisions yes, of yeah. like when, when the executives get together and like well look we've got this movie you know do we shelf it or how do we fix it how do we get Kevin Spacey out of it like even um, House of Cards they're they're going to do another season and just not have Kevin Spacey in it yeah and it's like I'm glad at least because if they cancel the series all those actors Especially not the not the big name ones. I mean, like the mid level actors that like need the residual check. Right. Need. Oh man, I'm in three episodes. I mean, ne- just the crew alone. The crew. Yeah. Like, oh, if I don't, if I'm not on House of Cards next season, I, my insurance runs out or whatever. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish there was a leadership taught to celebrity actors as to, because like a lot of things are leadership is taught to a lot of different career fields, but not to actors. And the whole idea is that you are kind of a leader on that set and your role and your position affects everyone below you. And yeah, I just wish that as you were coming up, you had to go through some sort of like, this is exactly how many people are depending on you. This is the amount of salary that's depending. Don't. Don't be yeah. a creep. Don't be a creep. Yeah. It's not that hard, it's man. Not even, it's not, it's There's so much consensual stuff out there on the internet. You can get anything you want. Anything you want. Consensual anything you want. But it's, it's out there. It's not, I mean, obviously it's not, obviously the not just the, the like the guys being creepy. Obviously it's a big thing and we need to talk about it. We need to change the culture. But just anyone in Hollywood, male or female, they get to a position of power. They're the worst. Some right. of them are nice. <laughs> because they, they come, it's like having a valet and they're really good at parking cars and then they're in charge of valets mm-hmm. and they're terrible bosses. I, I've done a lot of valet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean comedy. And and it's like you get this guy who can park a car great and now he's in charge of people. What the hell he's doing? It's a different job. It's a different It's funny. Job. You come from a military background. You're a vet so you're taught leadership. You're I taught- was. And I was an officer. So mm-hmm. I was indoctrinated with years and years of leadership experience. I've read 
dozens of books on it and taken studies and all this stuff. And it's, 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 there's really just a couple basic concepts. Like, don't be a creep. That's one. <laughs> a. Um, yeah, just, yeah. Just don't be an asshole to the people right. that work for you. Like, that's the biggest thing. Nobody wants to work for an asshole. And in Hollywood, it's permitted. Yeah, and everyone seems to, when, when you get to a certain level, it's just like, and I don't know if you just have been driving in L.A. for too long, and so you're just angry about the world or what, like, I don't know what happens, but it's like there needs to be, I wish this wasn't true in comedy, too. I wish that there was a, a leadership track, a production track, you know, where you could have careers in comedy that it's not just failed stand-ups doing other things. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing, right. too. It, 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 going back to specifically Hollywood, the old studio system <laughs> I, I don't know that there was, I'm sure there wasn't leadership classes, but you were brought up. You learned how to sing, you learned how to dance, you learned how to do everything. And so, so many of, and you talk to those old school, very few of them had the crazy ego shit because it was like, you were under contract and you were like, well, everyone had more of a like theater group mentality. You know, yeah. of like, I, I, you know, I got to go to work today. And also they were all coming off of the d depression. <laughs> you, know, right, all, right, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> so it's like, I think that's a big part of it because I see people, you know, in Hollywood, especially when I started like going overseas, doing the USO shows in Iraq and Afghanistan and seeing third world countries. And you see people mm -hmm. that have it really tough. And then someone's like pissing and moaning on the set. And I'm just like, you spoiled motherfucker. You spo <laughs> and like Absolutely. a good friend of our, Mike, Mike Siegel, who was an entertainment reporter. Oh God. And he would do these interviews and he'd be like certain, I was like, how was, how was this person like? Or how was she like? Oh, I was like, oh God. Like, you know, he said Reese Witherspoon was so mean to him. Just, really? Oh, so really? rude. And he oh, was like. Oh, that makes me so mad. Right. Because you love, she's so likable. She's so yeah. likable. Oh, Reese, you know? And okay. I want her to be Amy Poehler is what I want right. her to be. <laughs> <laughs> she's not. And he was like, man, you can't just get above common decency. And I understand, sure, there's millions, there's pressure, and there's agents and all that stuff. But don't you, well, that's part of it. Like, you've never had to. You know, she has. Did she had she ever got a fucking? You know, she never had to drive an Uber. Did she ever wait tables. If she, is she wondering right. where her next page checks? Excuse me, going to come from? Nope. Well, so it's I'm like, sure at some point. You well, know, that's but, the you thing. Know, I think is they like, forget. Of course. Yeah. They forget. Yeah. There's another one that's like because that. A woman comic in I, comedy is. Unless you're, you know, unless you're literally either born into it or a child actor, you know, at some point before you get your big break, you done a menial to a job right at some point. right well not everybody like i dated a comedian who's a trust fund she doesn't really have to work and like mm. chris D'Elia, his parents were wealthy and so they just you know he moved out here and he just started taking classes and, started, and he's good you know i'm not mm. dissing him for this but like he never had to wait a table he never right. had to like like watch his checking account go down toward the end of the month and be like, <laughs> am i gonna make it am i gonna yeah. make it you know what i mean but that brings a humility that i think you need in the arts right. so yeah. like no like I'm one paycheck away from suffering. One, Just but even one but even in that, away. not to, not to, to to be fair, I know some people who struggled, struggled, and then they made it, and they were like, "Oh, now I get to be a dick to people." I hate that mentality. That's the That's, worst. All it does is perpetrate the, it's the a never horrible. Cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. Yeah. It's like an abusive cycle. Yeah. It's like when a parent abuses a kid, and the kid's like, "Well, now I'm going to beat the shit out of everybody." Well, right. You're not doing no, anything stop, to fix stop. the yeah. greater break, cultural break problem. The cycle. Right. Um, um, anyway, yeah. So, so uh, I just had a thought while we were uh, talking about all this about uh, the reason they uh, got Christopher Plummer's scenes done much quicker uh, is because when you look at Kevin Spacey, he looks like John Paul Getty. Like they put a lot of prosthetics and makeup on him. Christopher Plummer looks like Christopher Plummer right. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Plus he wasn't like, busy off like yeah. trying to 
was well, being yeah, a creep yeah, yeah. <laughs> to but somebody. I, I'll tell you, I saw the scenes with <laughs> just him. Film. Like, <laughs> just I'll show up and work. He just, I won't have to. He's such a good actor. Like, I know. Oh, you know what? Oh no, I'm in. I'm in with Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I got to be honest though. This trailer, the Mark Wahlberg spy movie trailer that we just right. watched, it looks more interesting. Not to me. Oh, you think you don't? Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it looks like it's like a Jason Bourne ripoff. Right. I wanted. I want to see. I mean, some of it looks interesting. You hear Christopher Plummer saying, "Because I guess Mark Wahlberg's character is ex CIA or something right, like right. that." So mm-hmm. he's like, "I want you to do the things people don't know how to do or don't aren't willing to do." You know, like, all right. This is the kind of movie too now that it could go either way. Where it's. Uh, I want it to do well. Be- yeah. Because. I, I love the fact that Spacey is fired. I love right. all these people are getting fired. There's finally a it's fucking accountability. Yes, yes. there's a reckoning. I, I hate to say it because I, I do want to see this movie, but whenever you see a movie that has two radically different trailers, you know, that's, <laughs> know, that's when... It's a bad sign, Yeah, it's man. not a great sign. I just, yeah. I just did it with Roman J. Israel Esquire. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. How was it? That means that no one really knows what the movie is. Uneven. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, so we'll see. Okay. And uh, on DVD and Blu-ray, Despicable Me 3 and American Assassin. Now, American Assassin was the Michael Keaton movie, right? Yeah, it's, it, there's, some, there's some fun spy shoot 'em up Is there an American assassin? In it? <laughs> there is an American assassin, Chris. It is, it is true They're to They're all title. just trying to track yeah. down an American yes. assassin. <laughs> he's like, find the it's like Will and Stranger Things. He's never actually on TV, <laughs> but you know he's there. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. No, this yeah. is a movie like... If you just want dumb spy nonsense, this is for right. you. Uh, see, I feel like Jack that's Reacher. what the James Bond series is for. Like, mm-hmm. I love James Bond because you know it's over the top when you're going right. into it. You're not right. going into thinking, oh, this is what spies really do. There's going to be there's gonna be some <laughs> subtlety that, here. Like, yeah. FBI training is like right. six years of this, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flying an Aston Martin like, yeah. into, a, into a dirigible or whatever happens. Oh, I so. would drive an Aston Martin, though. Mm-hmm. I had got to valet one once in the... The dash lights up, and you have a translucent key, and it just sucks the key into the dash, and the car, the whole thing turns on, and like, yeah, it's crazy. Wow! Oh. So it looks like a spy car. So yeah, a- it looks. It feels like you're like, I'm a spy now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm gonna go meet James Bond in this car. There's oh, a time portal in the dash. Yeah. Oh, you mean I? Oh, I'm just parking it. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> That's got to be the worst cock tease ever being about. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, here's your car for 60 seconds. Yeah, I know. I once got a Maserati to zero to 60 in like maybe 300 feet or something. I don't <laughs> wow. know how far. It wasn't very far at all. <laughs> 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 I know. This all guy right. came in every day because his baby was in NICU, but... Anyway, I don't go into you know just don't valet in L.A. If you can find a parking space, that's what All I right. recommend. <laughs> street park, everybody. Yeah. Street, yeah. street parking. Yeah, that's find the meter. are insane. Valets are find insane. a meter and go on your way. Hashtag yeah. street parking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So should we just go into premiering this week? Well, yeah, let's bang yeah, it pr- out. Premiering this week, this is uh, The Shape of Water. Looks interesting. It really does. This is the Guillermo del Toro movie that uh, he insists is not an Abe Sapien uh, origin story. That's the character from Hellboy, which is the. Uh, but he, but here are the similarities. Same director. Right. A fishman. The fishman played by the same actor as in the Hellboy movies. <laughs> uh, also in the um, in the mythology, found in a tank. <laughs> you know, uh, discovered uh, years earlier. So I really feel like. This is uh, Guillermo del Toro wanted to make an Ape Sapien origin story, couldn't get the rights, and it's like, well, I'm going to make it anyway and change a few things. So, yeah. uh, but I- I'll tell you. And the actress that plays the the 
the mute in it, she looks really amazing. And I Fantastic. feel like she's conveying all these amazing emotions yes. without speaking, which to me is like that and would be amazing. The, the right movie now. really does look like you know it, it's look like, well, just really interesting, like like um like you know kind of a weird, twisted adult fairy tale ish kind of thing. Like you know you've got a love story, you've got a monster, you've you've got. Uh, um, you know, you've you've got like the evil, like Michael Shannon plays this great government operative that's it's just really looks like he's just completely out of his mind. Um, so, but now what's interesting is I'm hearing like some Oscar buzz on this movie, which would be really weird because it's a it's basically a genre movie. So mm-hmm. to see any Oscar buzz would would be uh, really interesting. So it's probably with uh, what's the actress's name? Uh, Sally, I can't remember now. The girl, the play, the plays the uh, the girl, uh, the Sally the, Hawkins. Sally Hawkins, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she looks like she does an amazing Octavia job. Octavia Spencer's in it. in it. Yeah, Octavia Michael Spencer. Shannon. It's get they they they're stacking this up for an Oscar. Yeah, it, it feels big, that way. Big Oscar yeah. push. Yeah. So uh, and the other movie, this is only in limited release, so it may not be out near you yet. Is I Tanya? I can't wait to see this movie. Oh, we're going to see that this weekend. My girlfriend and nice. I. Uh-huh. She, she's obviously more cultured than Bef- I am. But before uh, <laughs> before Italy, right? <laughs> yeah, this is also to pre- prepare you for <laughs> Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prepare you. <laughs> show oh, the worst I don't of America. Even know what it's about, honestly. Tanya Harding. Oh, it's about. Oh. Yeah. My oldest sister was a stripper for like 13 years, mm-hmm. and she lived in Portland. She stripped in Portland. And she worked at the same strip club that Tanya Harding's bodyguards used to come into. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a white trash connection to Tanya Harding. <laughs> <laughs> That's a white trash Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm a yeah. big fan of Margot Robbie. I think she's going to do a, a great job in this movie. And, oh, Allison and, Janey yeah, as a Janie. crazy Oh, yeah. I love yeah. Allison. She just pushes Janie. her off the oh, chair. She, you, you're going to, in the trailer, Allison Janey is just the worst. Oh, she's just mean. She's such a great actress. She's fantastic. I yeah. love her. There's, fine, there's not a, there's, I can't think of an Alice and Janie role that I didn't like. Right. No, she's great. Juno, she was yeah. great. I loved her in Juno. Did you see that? The Way Way Back. Yes. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. Juno's great. The Way Way Back's great. She's great in The Way Way Back. Right. She plays this annoying drunk lady. Oh God. Mm-hmm. She was so good in it. I wanted to leave the movie theater because I was like, <laughs> I was, I couldn't be around this annoying drunk lady. And I, and I caught myself. I was like, Oh God, she's oh, that good. Man, Aunt yeah. Lou, what are you doing in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we all got an Aunt Lou. <laughs> we all have an Aunt Lou. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's our show, ladies. That and is. Gentlemen. That was. I th- wow. Was that a supersized one, Aaron? How long was that? Oh, wait. Oh, all right. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, okay. guys. Bing boom. Eight more. Eight more. Yeah. <laughs> we gave you a little eight, an extra yeah, eight, guys. Yeah. Um, Hard eight. <laughs> that's our that's our heart eight. <laughs> Hashtag heart eight. Um, uh, Leah Mansfield, where can people find you? Upcoming shows on the World Wide Web in um, addition to the December 17th. Yes, December 17th. Uh, you want to tell us more about the December 17th yes, show? Yes, I will. So that is for FNX. It is Custer's Last Stand-Up. It is Leah Mansfield, uh, Sheila Chalaki, uh, Jim Rule, and Mark Yaffe. All Native American comics, and but uh, there's only Graham, four in the United States. <laughs> I'm finding all of them. They're all emailing yeah, me now because yeah, yeah, we're yeah. doing we're doing thirteen. But, yeah, but that's if great, I though, that's wanted great. to see this live, how would I get tickets? Oh, that's a great question, Chris. You <laughs> could just go to GrahamElwood.com, see all my tour dates, or go to fnx.org/comedy and buy tickets right now. Fifteen dollars, but Chris, you know, if you're an active student, you're not going to pay full price. You know what you're going to pay? Ten dollars. How about a student Perfect. discount? Perfect. I love it. Mm-hmm. December seventeenth, Sunday, we start shooting at seven o'clock. Uh, you get to come to a live TV taping. You're supporting a bunch of uh, Native American comics. You're supporting uh, um, a, a new channel, 
and uh, the MC is is a uh, one white guy, me. Yeah. And <laughs> he looks like he could have like <laughs> one native grandparent yeah. though. You know what I mean? You look like maybe I, somewhere the white like the white genes are strong in me. Like I look just like my dad. So you're white. So but. you're the custer. I am you're custer. The custer. <laughs> well, that's that at the Stand end of the sh- in this hole. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the show, they're gonna ambush me. Yeah. All the comics kill me. So it's we're really... gonna put them in a hole. We're gonna climb out, climb up on the side. And just... Yeah. When I'm up there on stage, they're all gonna be up in the rafters, just mm-hmm. shooting arrows at me. So for 15 bucks, you get to see me murdered, you guys. Yeah. I don't know why you would pass that up. It's you know, but if you're a student, only 10. <laughs> Watch Graham get murdered. <laughs> Only ten dollars if you're a student. That's amazing. I want to. I want to. I support education in yeah. this country. <laughs> um, so Leah will be on the show and three other very funny people and support. It. It's my first ever TV directing thing. So oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad yeah. I'm on it. Um, yeah, mostly uh, my website's defunct right now, but uh, I have to swap a bunch of stuff. But uh, basically, Instagram and Twitter are my two main. I would say social medias if you want to find me, and it's just at Leah Mansfield for both. I was the first Leah Mansfield oh, on Instagram nice. and Twitter. Yeah, girl. <laughs> so I'll t- suck it, Leah Mansfield artist <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> suck it, I got it. <laughs> We're coming for you. I don't know why. So, so yeah, you can do that. I'm also in Phoenix uh, at the end of January on the 28th. It's a Sunday. Bird City Comedy Festival mm. um, is a really fun new festival run by an amazing woman named Genevieve Rice. And they also do um, shows throughout the year, um, kind of under the, you know, yeah. logo of Bird City. So I'm doing that in January, and then hopefully going back there in April or whenever. That's they have fa- it, so. w- when we were in Phoenix for the ATC festival, I saw some advertising. First of all, I had a bl- we had a blast in Phoenix for ATC, yeah. and I've heard good things about Bird City. So check that out. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's still first couple years, mm-hmm. so you know, all festivals in the beginning have a little bit of bumps, but generally it's great. Talking about. <laughs> 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 L.A. Podfest, year six. <laughs> I I do like to get on, on the ground floor of festivals. Um, it's fun to get in the first year. Everything's disorganized. Nobody knows what to expect. And it, there's like a, there's kind of a newness that makes it feel really fun. So Yeah, and it's, it's, um, it's summer camp for comedians. It's like, totally summer camp for comedians. We're, you, we're all drunk or high or hanging, uh, out. hanging out, just trying to make each other laugh it's and it like yeah and that's it it's so much fun it's, I l- it's rejuvenating I c- to be around a bunch of good comics just hanging out for the weekend and like watching each other's sets right. and laughing your ass off like right. i came back from phoenix exhausted from laughing it was really fun mm-hmm. i mean i was only there for like one night and it was really fun it we was... got we got a lot in in one day yes we did mm-hmm. um all right ladies and gentlemen that's our show thank you aaron thank you leah mansfield um thank you citizens of the world <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I like that. So, oh, and I did want to mention uh, Conversations from the Abyss. The last episode of season one has dropped called uh, Good and Evil, about an angel and a demon discussing the nature of good and evil in a coffee shop, starring Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale and Brian Ellerding from uh, Mad Men. Listen oh. to that on Christmas Eve. Yes. <laughs> With your small children. I like to read Stephen King on Christmas. Yes. Oh, good for you. It's just me. Uh, mm-hmm. That's our show. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han shot first. Street party.